You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this marks the beginning uh, of a special week of releases from the Just for Last Festival in Montreal. Uh, We've got four episodes for you. This is Jen Kirkman. Tomorrow's will be Moshe Kasher. And after that, a live recording that I did with Patton Oswalt, uh, one of my favourite comedians. Uh, I hope you're really going to enjoy that one. I certainly did. And the fourth and final one will be Andy Kindler, famous for uh, the Hacks Handbook that he created in in the early 90s, who is a satirical sort of swipe at hack comedy. Uh, and also well-known for his uh, State of the Industry addresses. He does a regular speech every year at Montreal in which he uh, kind of... He almost... He acts as the comedian of the industry, reflecting the industry's um, uh, pomposity back at itself. Um, All of them I'm really, really pleased with, and thank you so much to everyone uh, for giving me their time, uh, particularly when I just turn up at the festival as no one they've ever heard of. Um, So this is Jen. Uh, Before we get into it, though, this is a recording that I made that will open uh, in an unusual fashion with an extremely giddy and uh, audibly excitable commentary that I made uh, as soon as I arrived in Montreal. So here's Stu last week, uh, and then uh, I'll let him, I'll let history Stu uh, introduce the episode. Okay, so this is me arriving in Canada. I'm in Canada! I'm in Montreal! Uh, I'm in the hotel. I'm looking out the window at some enormous uh, skyscrapers. I know we have them at home, but these ones seem squarer and more exciting and more kind of artistic somehow. And uh, we've met nice people on the plane. And I'm going to pronounce it Quebec, not Quebec, because I'm going to sound like a total local. Um, and I have arrived at the hotel. I'll tell you what it is. It is 6.45pm. Uh, and given that I came back from Latitude Festival last night and drove myself back from Latitude, uh, myself and the Lady Sarsky, we uh, drove back at, well, I say we, I did the driving because I'm a, a sort of heroic figure, um, and got in at one in the morning and probably slept from two till nine and then got up and frantically packed and went to the airport and that, now we're five hours in the past. So here it's 6.45, but in London it's 11.45. And what I'm going to do is, because I love you guys and it's important to me that the podcasts you get are well-researched, I'm going to go out and see uh, Moshe Kasher 
Uh, I'm going to see his show, which is in 45 minutes. And then if I'm still awake after that, I'm going to go see Jen Kirkman because I've arranged with both of these dudes to do podcasts with them. And then after that, I'm going to, uh, what am I going to do after that? Then I'm going to, I might have like another coffee. (laughs) I might run back to the hotel, have a swim and then, and then run back out, um, and go and see like a sort of, you know, best of Montreal or some sort of group lineup show happening later on just ran into the brilliant may martin in the uh, in the lobby and i also had a very pleasant flight here with pippa evans and uh, ed gamble during which i did lots of podcast research and prep and, and sort of a mixture a healthy mixture of prep no an unhealthy mixture of prep and panicking about my interview this thursday with pat and oswald so uh three i've got three in the diary uh, moshe tomorrow on oh, no, jen tomorrow moshe the day after that and those are non-live ones and then on thursday i'm going to be interviewing pat and oswald and as you know i'm rather excited about it but i thought i'd uh i thought i'd sort of record this for audio and what i might even do is chuck these podcasts out as soon as i've done them in a sort of live from the just for last comedy festival because I've, I've got loads of Stuff in the bag, as you know, we've still not released bloody Matt Lucas yet. And there's George Egg and uh, Justin Morehouse and Charlie Baker, who I uh, interviewed at Latitude, uh, which is great fun. Um, so I've got loads of stuff. So let, why don't we why don't we do this? Why don't we chuck these out and try and do them live and maybe even release uh, the Thursday pattern one, assuming it g- goes well and he actually turns up and he has tweeted about it. So that's good. Um, so, in fact, when you hear this, you might be I don't know, maybe this will maybe I'll just release this now and do a little daily audio thing, or maybe this is the introduction to the uh, the Jen Kirkman episode. In which case, welcome to the Jen Kirkman episode. So this is the first one I've done from this... I'm, we're at Montreal, we're at Just for Laughs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this your first one? My or have you been here before? No, I've been here before. This is my third one. Okay. And um, I seem to not be able to move off. I'm on off JFL, that they like to keep me... Okay. I'm an off person. Which is like off-Broadway kind of... It's oh, not one of the main venues, is that right? That's a nice way to put it. Okay. I feel like it means um, the more punk rock, off-beat, alternative people that um, yes. are been doing it 20 years but will never be famous. That's how. That's the subtext, because okay. this festival makes everyone mental. If you don't get in, you think it's the worst thing ever. If you do get in, you're like... Oh, well, I'm not, you know, Dave Chappelle. I'm even here, you know, that kind of thing. Sure, okay. So I always see off, but I like it. I like being a little off. This is great. This is lovely to have the voice of some experience here. And it's interesting and perhaps a a key to your character that like three three Montreal's in, you're already thinking, ah, this is it, I'm screwed. You know what I mean? That (laughs) that kind of like, oh, it's 20, you know, 20 years. Like you can't win. It's an unwinnable situation. I think I'm a, um, yeah, I think I'm a, um, I heard, you know, uh, He's a writer uh, and comedian, this guy, Kurt Metzger. Um, oh, that does he's, he's really funny. Uh, he said um, on a podcast once, I'm just not, a, I'm, he said, I don't mean it in a bad way. I'm just not going to be a winner at life. I will do well, Yeah, but I will not be. Prom just king won't, kind of person. It's it just not going to happen. And so I think that's <laughs> what I am. But when, when I say that, not you, but people get like, oh, I'm like, no, no, no. It's beyond my wildest dreams have already happened. But I'm okay. just, I'm not, I don't push and so I'm not going to be here shaking hands and making contacts. Gotcha. I will be in my room. In bed. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> and what, what do you think is, 
Is that as a result? I, I feel I have a similar thing. I, li- I like to meet people, so I will be trying to meet people. I'm trying to see loads of shows. Yes, but I, I like that too. I'm social. I scurry away when people go, oh, this is this incredibly important guy. Yeah. I've kind of got to go, oh, God, I'll go and say hi to the guy and then run away. And- yeah, it's like, what's going to happen? Yeah. And, and it's like, if you see my show and you like it, then we'll talk. But what am I going to do in the lobby? I'm going to win you over in five minutes with some pizzazz. And I could, but I don't feel like it. Okay. So that's probably self-destructive. Being more specific then about that, about a sense that, which I think a lot of comics have, a sense that uh, that someone is not going to hit the big time properly. Like I'm really happy to be where I am, but you know I'm just one of those people for whom it doesn't look. But I hear that from a lot of people. It's a a motif of this show. Is everyone goes? I'm the invisible man of comedy. Yeah. What happened to us to make us like that? Given that we are in most cases doing our dream job. It could be the, it could be, I mean, I take it back to like parenting. Okay. Because I was talking to my mom on the phone the other day and she was mentioning a very popular comedian right now. Um, and I won't say it so that I don't call you later and ask you to edit it. And she goes, I always think, why can't this be my Jenny? That's what she calls me, Jenny. Okay. Sometimes she does when she's in a, when she's Motherly in a maternal yeah. slash pity mode. Why can't that be my Jenny? And I said, the fact that you've given me that, um, it's, Life sentence is yes. why. And that's that the answer probably, to the question. You've probably isn't it? been doing that for 40 years since I was a, a oh, kid. That's fascinating. And it could be the Catholicism upbringing, which I have no bad effects from it, like no weird sex stuff, no you're going to hell stuff. I'm not religious anymore. My parents aren't. Um, but the one thing that got in was that kind of underdog, I think, kind of thing where it's just like, oh, yeah. You yeah, know, that's a, that's. That, I'm that's, wondering. I'm just putting it out there. Is is that in my DNA? And also, I grew up on punk rock music, so I always I wanted to be um, popular among the not popular. Yes. So you want to be some sort of loser or maverick or something because that feels what more authentic. But then when you grow up, you're like, no, I want the I, money. Yeah, I want the <laughs> money. So and I'm not. Um, as conflicted or on drugs. So if I could have that moment where suddenly Nevermind uh, comes out and I go from playing 100 to 200 seat theaters to an arena, I'd be happy with just the middle. Just give me the middle. Have me pop somewhere in the middle. That My goal, 1,000 seat theaters, make a lot of good money in one night and tour 20 to 25 dates a year instead of 150. I wonder. I want to work less. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I wonder if there is some, and I'm, I'm, I think that's absolutely fascinating. The idea that the parent that says, why can't be you like, why can't you be like this is answering their own question because right. I am the sort, because you have the sort of parent that says, why can't you be like this? And yeah. it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. And they don't mean it like, oh my God, you don't do enough. She's like, you, my parents are my biggest fans. So they're, sure. they're lamenting why this bad luck? And it's like, cause we're talking about bad luck. And yes. You probably have been. Yes. Well, I that's good. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd be I'd love to know if that is true. It has a certain elegance, the idea. You sort of go, oh, that would make Well, my mother used to say this to me. There's some kind of poem that goes, Monday's child is blah, blah, blah. Tuesday's child. Full of grace or something like that. Yeah, one is Wednesday's child is full of woe and Thursday's child has far to go. And I think far to go means you're going to go far in life. And I remember my mom used to, I think I'm a Wednesday or Thursday's child, but she used to combine them. And she would say it to me in bed every night. Blah, blah, whatever day I am. Blah blah's child has is full of woe and has far to go. So I always heard yeah. it as I've got far to go in life. Okay. Like not in a positive way. Yes, and so I understand. then later in life I looked You're up. Full that of poem. woe and it's gonna be that way for ages on the yeah. road. Later yeah. in life I looked up that poem and I was like, 
Wait, she combined two things and gave the far to go a whole new meaning. And I think I am a Thursday's child, so I think far to go was my destiny, and then it got... <laughs> now, this is just <laughs> okay. me being funny, but, okay. but I really think... But while we're on the subject of destiny then, this idea, I wonder if there is something about the, the comic that wants to... Look, I'm playing 200-seaters, I'd like to be playing 1,000-seaters, and I'd be happy with that. I wonder if there is a similar element of self-fulfilling prophecy in that maybe the people that get to play 1,000-seaters are the people who are trying to do that on the way to arenas. Yes, I think that that's true. Whereas maybe we're aiming too low, and as a result, we're coming in as low as we've aimed. Well, I think that's true, but I don't have the energy to apply that kind of stuff to career. I do that with life. I don't want to aim low. I want to... You know, I want the best for myself emotionally and in relationships and in just happiness. So I, I really work hard on that. I don't put that kind of crazy drive into career because I'm too artsy-fartsy for that. Whenever I hear anyone say something along those lines, yeah. I always think, really? Yeah. Really? Or is that, that... is that part of the image that you go, I'm not really... No, no, no. I know? don't have that... Because people always go, you work so hard, which I do because I'm always on the road. But I'm I'm flat... Not flatlining, but I'm... I'm staying at the same pace. Like I'm doing a lot of gigs, but that's to make as much money as I can. Um, in order to buy more plane tickets to do order, more gigs. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so it's that thing of I'm not working hard with a goal. I have not ever sat down and been like, what's the strategy? Because how could I control the strategy? Like I did this Netflix special, more people this year I've seen a turn where the people that are coming out actually feel like they know me. They've seen my special. They relate to me. It's people that have not come out before, but it's, now it's two, two to three hundred seaters. Last year, maybe I couldn't have done that just from okay. being on other people's TV shows appearing here and there. So there will tiny little tipping point happen. And so it's good. I hope it keeps building. But I can't imagine having to. First of all, I don't think I would want to play an arena. I have one I've opened for other people. And it's not what comedy is all about to me. Uh, the money in, in what re- in what respect? Okay, so the money's good. Is the, the money's money good? good for them? I mean, I heard a horror story about someone I know whose name I won't say uh-huh. opening for an enormous act in an enormous venue and being. And I heard the fee he got given. For no, this. I got I got paid really well by Chelsea Handler when she had okay. she had all of us open for her that used to work on her TV show. Um, so more money than you should make for half an hour of work. Sure, okay, but um, but still like not close to what she was making you know of course yeah, yeah, she's yeah. the star um but yeah so i would play like a five thousand seat place and it's just you can hear like a even during her set just a dull kind of roar and then a lot just of the noise of five thousand people the noise of people there. getting up getting yeah. a beer maybe you think no one can hear you because i've been in a concert too where you're like what where should we go after this so you talk at full volume no one can hear you but if everyone is a little bit so it has that and then there's just a lot of drunken woo and then they're watching you on a screen they're not watching you they can't see you. So I feel like the, you're in and out. It's really prestigious. The money's great. But how do you feel at the end of yes. the day? And you're someone who's interested in comedy as a, as a sensual art, like the, yeah. the, the physical pleasure of doing the job in front of the people. Yeah, that's really all I like. But, um, but yeah, so I think for me when I say a 1,000, I'm like, oh, that seems like a good amount where the money gets really good. And it's still not too many people. And they're not so people. far away. There's not a screen in a There's not a season. screen. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of, but I know what you're saying. Some, and also there's that thing of, oh, if I just do this, I'll be happy. If I just do that, I'll be happy. So I, I am happy right now, but that's, I feel like people misinterpret the amount of dates I'm doing as success where I see that as actually not an indicator of success. 
Because yeah, it's, that's very interesting. Yeah. But it flips, doesn't it? When you start off in comedy, you want to have a full diary. Yeah. And that is a badge of, oh, I can't come out and busy. You yes, know? I'm working on it. I'm hard. Yeah, absolutely. I'm hard. You're proving to yourself mm-hmm. how much you're working. And then absolutely, I suppose, when you hit the kind of big star status, you want to be able to go, I'm in town for three nights of this month-long festival. Exactly. That represents my success. I think so, yeah. If you do 30 cities a year, even if they're weird cities, you know, it doesn't have to be the major ones, but... For me, to, I just did a tour where I went 12 days in a row driving from one state to the next. And I, I kept seeing these comments on Instagram like, or getting emails from people, congrats on your success. I'm like, I'm driving a car by myself. You would, you, no tour manager, you in the no car. No tour manager. I have an agent okay. and I have my manager and my manager's assistant. So if something went wrong, I suppose I could call someone. But I sure. booked my but own. You're, you're physically behind the wheel. I booked my own travel. I booked my own everything. I had to figure out, okay, where's the hotel that's closest to the venue? You know, I can't expect my agents and managers, assistants who have all these other clients who don't do that for a job to do it. So, and, but then it's like, do I want a tour manager? Like, I don't really want someone there bothering me. I'm very, I I took a couple of friends with me on the road. A few people dropped in during the tour and rode with me and, and did some time. But, um, but yeah, I don't, I think I want that either. Mm -hmm. Someone just, I don't know. I want Which someone to handle want, everything want but be a ghost. Yes, okay. I don't can't imagine like writing with someone that I like have to talk to. Yes. But yes. I guess I love that the point, idea of having friends come in for parts of the tour. That sounds yeah. like the right way to do it. That was just sort of random because um yeah, it just worked out that way. Like a couple one person asked me, she's like, Oh, my family lives in this area, can I drop in? And then one was like a gentleman. So it was like e- easy just sort of happened. I was just going to do it all by myself. But but that kind of thing where I'm driving myself and I'm kind of, I do these meet and greets after shows where people will, I have a book they can sign. Or I mean, I wrote a book that, that they have a copy, I'll sign it or they'll yeah. do a picture. That, that was a habit I got into from being on um, the show Chelsea Lately where we would do these structured shows where comedians from the show, we three would play a thousand seat theater and then have a meet and greet after that some people bought or whatever. And oh, like I paid for. Yeah. Like okay. The more I'm expensive only, seats. You know, I'm only familiar with that in the context of drag shows, where you go and see like you oh, know, the really? winners of RuPaul season six oh, or I whatever, would love to do and that. you pay an extra forty bucks, and they always sell out immediately because yeah. they do the meet and greet. Yeah, thing, you yeah. pay a little more, and yeah, they okay. do the meet and greet after. And so I, we all got used to it when we started going out on the road individually. And at comedy clubs, it's good because they have bouncers, and they they're trying to get you out to get the next show on. Mm-hmm. But at these rock clubs, I've been playing it looks like I'm fine on my own. Like, so I always start out saying you have to stand with me and let's keep the line moving. And where should we do the meet and greet? And they're always like, uh, just, you know, just go to the bar and hang out after. I'm like, no, 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 I yeah. can't do that. Go into the car park next to a white van. <laughs> yeah. Great. So when I'm hanging out on the bar, it's like too many people and they want to buy me shots and I'm not that kind of person. And I mean, I'm not that kind of, I'm not the hang out with you get drunk comedian. I'm the, let me get out of here. Mm-hmm. And then just, you know, like drunk people, like really nice stuff. Like I really relate. I love you. But I understood that from the laughter. So I'm just doing the meet and greet because I think it's good. It's good for social media. I'm, I'm very grateful. If someone wants a picture and thinks I'm anything they want a picture with, I can't even fucking believe it. So yes, but it does tax me and get tiring. So at that point I go, how successful am I really? If I have an hour to spend with people and there's no one to control it. And I eventually just have to be kind of a cunt face and walk away and be like, I have to go. And then, you know, standing outside and getting an Uber by myself. <laughs> like that to me, when I'm getting emails saying you're so successful, I go, I guess I have a different definition of success. But I suppose yes. when I was doing open mics, I would have thought this is very absolutely. successful. Absolutely. You killed. Yeah, absolutely. But it, I think your perspective that. changes. Of course. But I don't think it's a bad thing. 
I think if I was so grateful for this that I would just stop here. So I guess in a way I am ambitious. <laughs> that yeah, all comes I around think so. Saying- <laughs> well, we do just saying, oh, I don't have a strategy, but then in the same time, and I know everyone has to say this, it's not a criticism at all, but... You know, going, oh, it's good for social media to do this. And yeah. at the end of the day, you are selling a tour, you're selling a product. I'm you're selling, selling yourself. me, yeah. Yeah. So on the on the subject of, well, let, let's not call it strategy, but I'm very few comics, it seems to me, in the UK at the moment mm-hmm. have got podcasts. And it seems to me that everyone does in America. I think America's 10 years ahead of us in terms of podcasts. Uh-huh. Your one is really special, I think. It's very oh, unusual. You. Yeah. And... Um, so it's called I Seem Fun, yeah. which is just a lovely title. <laughs> but you like, I Seem Fun. Um, exactly. But uh, it's, and it, it's, it's not you, it's not two coming to the room, it's not an interview, it's just you talking, sometimes for like an hour and a half or more. Yeah. These very, very personal, long, sometimes are stories, and sometimes just listen to one where you order takeaway and you're like, I'm, I'm going to have my <laughs> takeaway now, I don't need to tell you that. I'm so full. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> this is like tiny little, there's no stings, there's no nothing, it's just that's it. And it's this very personal one-on-one experience, which I think, like, without saying it's strategizing, but is that, is that a deliberate part of your relationship with your audience? Or was it just that you thought, I'd better have a podcast, and this seems easy? You know, yeah. what's the thinking behind that a, like, sort of relationship? It was a little bit of both, because I remember when Mark Maron's podcast started, I wanted to start one then. And that was like, what, six, seven years ago. And I At thought, least, yeah. yeah, and I thought... I don't want to rip his off, but I like what he's doing with the monologues. And then I just never did it. And I kept, people would th- say to me, do you want to start one together? And I would just, eh, I don't want to talk to with another person. And then I heard Bill Burr's podcast where he just mm-hmm. talks to himself. So it's kind of a rip off of his. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then I thought that's what I do best is talk off the top of my head. Even when it's not going well, even when it's rambling, I do think there's, I know it's the type of podcast I like to listen to either two people talking or one person. I do not like uh, three guys joking around or girls or whoever. Mm-hmm. It's too much madness for me. So um, to start one, I, I meant to do it years earlier. And then I finally got around to it when I felt inspired. And so it was really scary to hit record for the first time because I just do it off an iPad on this little thing called iRig. And um, it actually sounds weirdly good for no production value. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted it to be the one thing I do that has no... No managers, agents can give me notes. There's no consequence in a weird way to it. It's not for selling a show. It's the one thing I can do that the feedback doesn't matter. It's just for me. And then as I started doing it, I noticed I would do stupid things like answer a text in the middle of it. And it would infuriate some people and they'd send me angry emails. And I'd read those emails and then I'd get a flood more of people saying, that's what we like about it. Yes. And so now I consciously let those things happen. I don't try to do them, yes. but I enjoy it because I think this really is for a very specific small group of people. And I have to keep being as me as possible doing it. I don't. I, I look at it as a way of seeing... It was really a reaction to a lot of the things I was involved with that I didn't think showcased me as me. Being on Chelsea Lately, being on Drunk History, both great shows, but I don't really talk about pop culture. And if I do, I'm not saying snappy things really quick. And I'm not a drunk. I'm not this fun person. I am in very private moments with people I know personally, but I'm not going to go out on the road and woo. So I just thought... I don't think people that come to see me know me. I, I need someone to know me. And I just did that. And then now it's, there's some crossover. Like your average club goer doesn't know what the podcast is. But now people come out and they, someone wrote me, I feel like I'm rooting for you because I know you through the podcast. Yes. Then I saw your stand up. Yes. And I was excited when you were getting laughs. And I felt like 
you know, so yes, now I use it. Um, for some people, it's just a thing. They don't even know my stand up, And then for other people, it illuminates more. I don't know. And do you, have you felt your stand up changing once? How long have you been doing the podcast? Two years, which I can't believe. Yeah, and this is three and a half, and it's mind blowing. Yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> and I only really have weird. 100 episodes, and I'm like, oh, I must have been lazy. I feel like I have undergone a similar sort of process where I, I, I've kind of gone, oh, this podcast has sort of become the most successful thing that I've done. I'm, you know, I'm a, a decent stand up, but I've not done TV particularly. Uh-huh. Um, and it's helped me kind of go, Oh, actually, what the it's 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 slightly changed the course of mm-hmm. the creative journey that I've been on because I'm going. Oh, actually, when I'm just myself being curious about things, yeah, people react to that really well. And then I felt like what I have maybe done in the past, and this is very much the thing that's happening to me at the moment. Yeah, um, I think what I maybe have done in the past as a stand-up is kind of put on the stand-up suit and then walk on stage. Yeah. you know, the sort of metaphorical suit. But you have two different the performance hats or self, suits. Yeah, and actually. Part of the job, maybe, or my job as a stand-up, is to learn to not put on the performance self. And the, the goal for me at the moment is to be as authentically me on stage yeah. as I am being when I'm doing the podcast or the or the the, the blurbs on it, any of any of that kind of stuff. And it sounds like sense. it sounds like there's a similar thing to yours because you're you're. I'm just wondering, kind of, which came first? Your podcast is a very intimate. Mm-hmm. It's not. A, I was going to say a portrayal. Of, it's not a portrayal. It's just you talking, mm-hmm. and you might be saying, "I'm in bed. I'm getting Chinese food." I'm, and and I found particularly a couple of episodes I've listened to. The further you get into the episode, like I feel like I can hear you relaxing into the rhythm of it, yeah. and you talk less often. There are longer pauses, and the stuff you're saying is more considered and more personal. I think maybe I might also be looking at notes. Okay. <laughs> you have faked authenticity. I think you're right. I, I start to, yeah, because, well, I've always been, for me, the stand-up was, again, you called it, that I was going to say this, this sounds pretentious. <clears throat> My stand-up was always authentic. I started just telling stories. Yes. And um, it literally just was like, hey, I'm hanging out with you, having a drink, Jen, you have to go on stage. Oh, okay. You know, just kind of being me all the time. And then, but. Then you learn to harness being you and make punchlines out of it and be very slick. And then the podcast brought me back to being more honest. Okay. So I used to have a rule on my podcast. I will not tell a story unless it's like more than a year old. It's called the the subtitle is Diary of Jen Kirkman. Okay. But I was like, I never want it to be a real diary where I'm like, well, I just had a breakup, you know. And then this past few months, I've had people say, why don't you talk about what's whatever's happening with you now. And I thought that's way too scary because I don't want advice and I don't want emails of sympathy. I think that's a really smart move. I've heard, I've heard that in terms of what you do on stage is what not what you, what one as a comic does on stage is don't do the breakup that you're undergoing right now because you've got no perspective on it. Yeah. I think that's, important for stand up and no one should because then you're just having a nervous breakdown but I'm like well this is what the podcast is for though and I started doing it and talking about okay I'm you know I talked about this like heartbreak I went through in January then I recently talked about someone I started seeing which I would never say yes. but, but it's like because I'm afraid when it ends what, what are they going to laugh at me they're going to be like then I'll have a more human moment with them and I thought what am I afraid of why am I afraid of life as it's happening this is what the podcast is for so now on stage I feel like I can take a little more of that honesty and not, you know, blow out anything that's currently going on in my life. But I can go, okay, well, whether I'm breaking up with someone or dating someone, what's something that happens to me when I date people or break up with people? Oh, I think these things. These things are funny. I've processed them because I've been through hundreds of breakups and startups. So why don't I put that in my act today? And so, like, I I came up with a new bit 
in the past couple months based on revealing stuff in the podcast. And I talk about the tra- the transition my self-esteem goes through from when I'm single to when I'm not, which is actually the opposite of what a normal person's self-esteem would go through. Okay, It's really good when I'm single. And then when I'm not, I'm a disaster. And I'm really good with being broken up with. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> and I thought, well, that's, that's a funny thing no matter what, because we're always in one of those states. So that's a funny stand-up piece. It, it's definitely considered and took years. It just talking, honestly, my podcast made me realize that's a funny, as Jimmy Pardo would say, piece of business. Mm. So yeah. So, but yeah, I don't think you can go on stage and be like, my mom and I just had a fight. Cause then you look crazy. So this is Jen, hugely grateful to Jen Kirkman for coming on the show. Really, really enjoyed uh, our interview. Uh, You can find out about all things Jen Kirkman uh, by following her podcast, I Seem Fun, uh, or you can Google her up and find her website and all of her live dates. I'm not sure when she's next coming to the UK, um, but she's absolutely worth seeing. She's such a pro and uh, has a really, like, it's really different. She has a really unique comic voice. And as we talk about in this interview, a real connection with the audience and kind of letting them into her real life and her real problems, but still in a very vivid and very funny way. So I hope she comes over to the UK. And if you're in the UK, you can get to see her soon. If you're listening in America or the rest of the world, then uh, I'm sure she will beat a path to your door before long. A um, couple of things. A uh, quick advert for the uh, the Phoenix Fringe happening in London uh, during uh, it's from this Thursday. So it's from Thursday this week, which I think is the I'll find out now. Thursday this week is the 30th of July and it runs until the 8th of August. The Phoenix Fringe, of course, is a sort of alternative to the Edinburgh Festival uh, with loads and loads of brilliant acts who aren't going up to Edinburgh doing their shows there, including Milton Jones, Ardlo Hanlon, Shappy Corsandi, Kerry Godleman, and loads and loads more. The link is www.phoenixfringe.co.uk, and you can follow them on Facebook uh, at facebook.com forward slash phoenixfringe, or follow at phoenix underscore fringe on Twitter. Uh, I just really like them. I've, uh, I've never done the Phoenix Fringe, but I've done loads of work at the Phoenix, and I've done previews there, and it's just a brilliant, brilliant uh, venue in which to get is where they do old rope um a fabulous uh, new material night for pro comics and it's just a real hub of comedy inventiveness so check that out if you're anywhere near london go along to the, the fiendish in cavendish the phoenix the fiendish the, fe- the fiendish phoenix uh, the phoenix in cavendish square god that was a mouthful i'm so sorry uh that's uh, very near oxford circus and uh, you can go along to phoenixfringe.co.uk to find out more. Um, just uh, So as I said, as I explained falteringly in the, the beginning sections of this show, uh, I'm going to release one episode every day this week uh, to celebrate my first visit to the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival Just Pour Rire in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, um, where I had an incredible time. I mean... You can hear how much I'm enjoying it myself uh, at the beginning of this episode throughout all of the interviews. Uh, I also did the British Gala, uh, which is a show with, uh, it was hosted by Jimmy Carr for a few nights and then Omid Jalili. Uh, and that lineup was myself, Ed Gamble, Pepper Evans, uh, Sarah Millican and Russell Howard. And we all had a ball. So thank you very much to them, to everyone involved in it. Uh, thanks to Zoe and Robbie Prohr at, uh, at the Montreal Comedy Festival and my uh, my manager, Hannah Chambers and Katie Eyre, who came over with us. Uh, and everyone that we ran into at the festival. I'll, I'll be talking more about it in the coming days. But I thought rather than eke these episodes out over the next month, we may as well drop them all in one go and you can get to grips with them. I'm really excited about having been so close to... 
lots of great Canadian and American comics and really starting to make some inroads uh, in, into those worlds, into American and North American comedy. It's just so inspiring to see. This is why I love going to see uh, acts that I've never seen before when they come over to Soho Theatre or when they come to the Edinburgh Festival. Just really exciting to see how the rest of the world is doing it. I think also, I know I've mentioned this before, you can get really hung up on seeing work by people that you know or people who occupy the same circuit as oneself. So there's always an, an edge, I find, if I'm being totally honest, I'll watch someone who's brilliant over here and I'll think to myself, oh, I, I could have done that or I could have seen that or I could have I could have followed a similar path to them. When you're dealing with Americans, it's just pure enjoyment. You don't know them. You don't hang out in dressing rooms with them. You just get to see the raw, unedited. You get to sit there and watch the show as if you're as if you're a, a, a mere <laughs> a mere punter, as if there's such a thing. Um, you get to see the show as if you're an audience member. And I, I've said before on this podcast, if you if you come across someone you don't know, don't stand at the back of the room like a comedian. Get right in there amongst the audience and get to enjoy it like the audience enjoy it. Because uh, it's like that thing of going and performing in a room for the first time. Before you know it, even the best rooms for comedy, once you've done them 10 times, you'll be like, here again, you know, you'll be used to all the intricacies of that room. So it's really nice to make something special out of the first time. So thank you again to, to Jen and thanks to everyone for having me at the uh, the Montreal Comedy Festival. Loads more episodes to come. Every day this week, I'll be releasing episodes with Moshe Kasher, Patton Oswalt and finally Andy Kindler this Friday. Uh, so look forward to all of those. If you're enjoying the show, you can support the show by donating at comedianscomedian.com. Uh, the beta website is up now. We'll be tweaking it over the, the next few weeks and months. But I'm really excited. Thanks to James Hingley uh, and Nathan Wood and Olivia Phipps for their work helping me make that ready. Uh, uh, James Hingley in particular for creating the website on WordPress and enabling it to suck in the podcast from various places and all sorts of complicated things we didn't realise would be complicated until we got there. Uh, if you would like, if you like the website, if you like the ability to comment on Facebook and watch videos and so forth. Um, and actually sort of enter into part of a conversation uh, about the site. You can follow a link there, of course, uh, to the Facebook group, to the Twitter feeds. You can see, you can have a look at some of the merch that is going to be arriving soon. I hope it's going to be a physical thing by the time Edinburgh rolls around uh, and then uh, buyable online in, in the months after that. Um, so you can check all of that stuff out at www.comedianscomedian.com. And of course, if you'd like to support the show, you can donate. You can click on a much more visible and uh, easily noticeable donate button. You can donate via PayPal. Uh, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash comcompod. Uh, if you'd like to set up a regular payment, you can use your Patreon account to do that. Um, and uh, and that's all the stuff. If, if you like it, if it's making a difference to your life, uh, it still contains no advertising. I can't promise that'll be the case forever, but I'm, I'm trying to keep it ad-free for as long as possible. So uh, the only thing that pays for the show, that pays for me to be herring around, going to new and exciting places, doing the research, doing the road miles, doing the um, doing the interviews themselves and uh, and paying the people that help me with the music and the design and the website and the editing. Uh, the only people that pay for all of that is you. So if you're enjoying the show, please do feel free to contribute to the show in whatever manner you see fit. Why not a pound a show, $2 a show if you're listening in the States, uh, or if you fancy uh, making a lump sum contribution, then 5 10 20 bucks. And I'm using bucks here. Uh, in the, I got this from Glenn Wool. Uh, bucks is actually, uh, it, it means, it, I think it derives from buckskins, which it basically means a unit of trade. So I think bucks can refer to, to pounds as well as dollars. And I'm sure that'll infuriate many of you. Um, but uh, 5 10 20 bucks, a couple of bucks a show or whatever else you think is worth. Just get on that, that link at comedianscomedian.com, hit the PayPal button and you can donate to support the show. And I will send you a, a lovely personalized message, often with a little treat in it. If there's one kicking about at the time, something unavailable or, or available to you first. 
to uh, if you're someone that's donated. So that's all of that. Now let's get on with it. Let's get back to the wonderful Jen Kirkman. <laughs> So your, I, I noticed in your album um, "Hail to the Freaks" mm-hmm. at the beginning of it, it's quite, it's got a sort of a, a charmingly ramshackle beginning. I thought I don't because- even. You know what's funny? I hate that album because I was having a nervous breakdown during it. Speaking Were you? of, okay. yeah, not. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I hope I haven't just called a, your nervous no, breakdown. Not a real one. <laughs> not a real one where I'm like in a hospital, but I was like going through something. I, I wanted to leave okay. my husband, and I couldn't and even you bring doing, myself to think about it. And you were doing stand up about the fact you yeah, were getting married, which I will never. Well, I was already married. You oh, you were talking, but yeah, but sorry, I was, you I was reminiscing about, the, about yeah. About the so wedding. I've I've only listened to the album once, which is when I had to do the edits for it. Okay. And I hated it and didn't want to release it. And I hate the way I'm performing, like yelling, which I don't do. So I, whatever happened at the beginning, I don't know what you're talking about. I would okay. love to hear what I think. That's talk. interesting. Well, the point I was going to make, and maybe maybe it's uh, less valid now or, or as valid, but the point I was going to make is at the beginning of the album, which I think is very funny, there's some really good stuff on it. And I think you, uh, I totally I totally get that thing of like listening back to your work from yeah. a while and going, oh God. Oh. Um, but there's someone, they, like someone heckles and you or they reacted weirdly to something and you kind of just take your time over it. And they say something about your relationship with the audience that I think is very honest. And maybe for you, it's not reflective of your, your best work or whatever your, yeah. your feelings are about it. But that thing you were just saying now about before you go on stage, um, going, oh, I'm chatting to someone, oh, I'm on stage, okay, fine. Yeah. That, that quality of just absolute honesty of this is, this is who I am and this is where we all are at the moment. Yeah. I think that's a very kind of performatively attractive state. I think people are, people are sort of gripped by, oh, oh, this person isn't doing an act. That's you know, not, you've yeah. thought about it and you know what you're going to say, but we feel very much like we're in the room with you. And I, I just yeah. thought, I, th- I thought, oh, that's good to have left that on the, on the album. Yeah, I like, I usually start out things like that. You know, when you're performing in a certain town and certain comics will find out some the street that everyone always gets in an accident on and you know so you're yes. in you're in buffalo new york and you're like you what's guys, up with blah blah drive i always think about shelbyville crazy. after the simpsons you you oh. guys rock much harder than the guys in <laughs> shelbyville yeah yeah it's that kind of thing where i don't want to do that because i know people have done it and probably done it better but i will try to talk about something it's not specific to the town but maybe something weird happened on a plane that day or something and i will just talk about for the first five ten minutes of my act it's it's slight crowd work it's slight Hey, this just happened because I'm warming up, keeping myself interested. I feel like I can't come out and treat them like, hello, I've just started the show. In a comedy club, I can't. Now, like when I did the Melbourne Comedy Festival, I just came out and started because I thought of it as a proper one-woman show. But at a comedy club setting where it's loose, everyone's having drinks, I don't want to... It's different every time, but I don't want to necessarily just come out with the act because then it's like, well, who are you? You know, I feel like maybe they need a minute to get to know me. So in my own weird way, I do that. It lets them know it's in the moment. So if they don't like it, no problem. Yeah. And then I get into the act. And I think if anyone didn't like what I was doing, they're relieved. Here come the jokes. And if some people bought into it, they're like, great, tell us some jokes now. There's, I feel like it's a win-win. You're yes. always going to, they're always going to be excited when the jokes finally come instead yes. of just slamming it with them up front. That's interesting. I'm just thinking of the, the last two or three comics that I've seen or been listening to, mm-hmm. um, I saw uh, uh, Moshe Kasher last night. It was I fantastic. Love him. Yeah. And uh, uh, Tom Segura as well. Yeah. And both, both, awesome. both of those guys and yourself 
have a similar... Like, I was watching them going, oh, this is so different. It's so exciting to me to watch comics I, A, haven't seen before, and B, from another country. Because yeah. you can particularly, like, from America being, like, the, the birthplace of stand-up. In, Thank in you for recognizing it. Yeah, absolutely. I like to make fun of people from other countries. Because, <laughs> no, I do notice, like, even in Australia, I'm like, oh, some of the people who've been doing it the longest are doing stuff that we already said... Does that make sense? Like, I'll, I'll be like, sense, yes. oh, that joke about the homeless person who was picky about the food. Like, yeah, we all did that in open mics in the 90s. But yeah. good for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's so condescending. Anyway, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but I noticed there's something about the, and maybe it is the, the idea that it's been going on for longer and yeah. the lessons have been learned more distantly in the past. But um, there's something about the, rela- and, and of course we are at, you know, this is just for laughs and the quality control is extremely high. So it might just be good acts. But True, I was yes. really excited to see the way that the crowd work was um, that you all handle it in such a. What do I mean? I, I, I'm not quite talking about crowd work. I'm talking about your relationship to the crowd, and the dynamic of that relationship seems to me in all three of those cases, you and those two guys, that here it is, absolutely take it or leave it. It isn't going to change for you. Yeah. In all three of those cases, in different ways said differently, well, very explicitly stated in uh, uh, Moshe's case. And Tom, yeah, very explicitly stated in all of your cases, I think, that, that you kind of go, this is it. This is, this is, this is what the thing is. Yeah. There's a comic in the UK, I don't know if you know Stuart Lee, who's got I've a heard kind of, of him. Yeah, Everyone I mean, he's, loves him. He's I, terrific. I yeah. He's great. And he has got sort of extended, he's got show, whole shows about that concept, really, or certainly whole bits about that concept right. in, in different shows. Um, but I, I suppose in the UK it feels like that's quite sophisticated. The, the touring comics... Oh, it's that, that kind of take-it-or-leave-it feels sophisticated? Yes, I oh, think wow. so. Or, or rather, rather maybe... I, I, I feel eggy about sort of saying, oh, it's like this in the UK or it isn't like this somewhere else. But right. I, I just noticed particularly... I'm, I will get to my point or question eventually. Um, that there is... The people that I see doing the bigger kind of touring shows in the UK tend to have more of a kind of an overtly crowd-pleasing agenda, I Yes, think. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but it wasn't a question. Are they the doing end, it on purpose, do you think? Because I, that's what I mean about being off. Like, I'm, I'm going to appeal to who I appeal to, and it's, it's going to be... That, that's exactly what I mean. It's not going to be popular. Even this, though what I'm saying is, to me, so broad. I'm talking about very broad issues that everyone has already talked about. Divorce, sex, dating. Who hasn't talked about this? But for some reason... I don't know what it is. There's something a little bit, just a little off center about it. About your about your version of those. About my version. I'm not trying to. It's just the way I am. But that new take it or leave it attitude is new to me. Um, I have been very like, is this okay, you guys? Whether you can tell or not. I think the years that I was having a lot of bravado and yelling and angry. That was my most like, is this okay? You know, I just turn it around and now I'm more vulnerable on stage, but yet the most fiercely take it or fucking leave it that I've that ever been. That is really interesting. That, that uh, kind of uh, uh, whatever it is, a paradox or something, that the, yeah. the opposition between when I was out there shouting about how much I didn't care. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It was because I cared so yeah. much. Yeah, because a friend of mine said, stop asking the audience, have you done this, have you done that? You don't just go out there and do it. Now, I still, because I'm trying to get stuff going, I will ask, is anyone else divorced here? Because I just think it's funny to talk about. People are still so weird about it in America. And so it might seem like I'm asking permission, but I'm just deliberately, I don't know, sometimes I get bored and I want to talk to other people. Maybe they'll say something and I can keep incorporating them throughout the show. But in general, I used to start jokes, even at my most, like, I think I'm badass with like, I don't know what it is. And now I'm just like, I'm this, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, or take it or leave it. It's not going to get more punchline-y or take it or leave it. It's not going to get less weird. I'm going to talk about my grandmother's corpse. I'm going to talk about... um how if you take a picture of me where I look fat, I will commit suicide. Like, how, why is suicide something that only noble people do for good reasons? Like, yes. I have seen terror. And now I'm joking, but it's the only way to get, I do something like that up top sometimes when I just get, sometimes I just get so bored. I go, if these people laugh at this, the first thing I say when I see the cameras going and I go, I've, you know, I go to the gym, I, I care about my weight and I get these pictures that are taken from a terrible angle and they go on Twitter and I see, why do I have camel toe? Why do I look so terrible? And I go up and over, take the picture up and over. And I'll say to the audience, I'm going to be depressed in my hotel room when I see your shitty pictures of me. I'm going to kill myself in a hotel room. And people go, oh, because I said, mentioned suicide. And I'm like, yeah. well, what? maybe there are some shallow people that have killed themselves over a picture. Not everyone who commits suicide just had some diagnosis they found out about her crazy illness. Like maybe there's some. Yeah, maybe some people were just sort of stupid and did, yeah. it, did it in a shallow way. And That's a funny I don't premise. have anything to say about it. And maybe I'll, in two years, I'll realize don't even say this because people. But okay. I've been affected. I've had people die from it. So I don't feel like. Like I feel like. What, so once in a while, when I want to really not test a crowd, but just dig a hole. Sometimes I just find it fun to dig a hole. I'll start with that. And then I'll, it sort of sets the tone of, I don't mean like, oh, I'm edgy. I just mean, I talk off the top of my head. I don't know what I'm saying. Just let me be, you know, it's the way that you talk to your friends that you go, fuck, if anyone recorded this, I would be screwed, but that's not who I am. I just said this word or whatever. So I kind of want to set that up. Like, just give me a fucking break here. So when you, and I, I want to talk more about the writing, we can use that, that bit yeah. as, as an example, but I've just it just occurs to me when you went given that we are at this very prestigious comedy festival yeah. and there'll be you'll be are you taping anything for TV while you're here? Yeah, the Alan Cummings Gala. Yeah. So when you do prestigious gigs, when yeah. you do TV tapings, oh. are you able to uh channel that same sort of No. D- no. Okay, that's a great answer. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just a robot. Like here's my act. I try to look like I'm No. And I think I end up channeling it because I, the reviews I get are so absurd after any gala I've done. They all act like I was making it up as I went along. I'm like, no, you stupid assholes. That's my style I perfected. It's called acting like I'm coming up with it. You fucking idiots. I'm talking to you, Steve Bennett at Chortle. I fucking hate that guy. He wrote one time, I had a bit about, I used to have extensions in my hair and going through a TSA security and a black woman patting my hair down and me announcing that I was wearing extensions. And she talked to me. We had this discussion about black women versus white women. Black women get 
weaves so they look better and they don't fucking tell people they have a weave. She said white women are always announcing, I have a weave, I have fake nails, I have fake tits. And she was, we were having a truly honest race discussion as she was patting me down. And she just said to me, your weave, your business. And she goes, that's why I'm patting you down and not this guy. So I did that story as like an opening joke. But the audience gets uptight when I start talking about race, even though it's nothing you know, crazy. And so I do a fake Where bit. Where was this, in Melbourne? This was, was in, um, just in life, I did this bit. Okay. But I did it at the gala, Joan Rivers Gala, a couple of years ago here. Yeah. And so I interrupt the telling of the story to pretend that I'm soothing the audience and go, don't get nervous, the white girl's talking about race. I know some of you are thinking this, some of you are thinking that. And then I tell a very funny joke and then I go back to the bit and then the bit ends and it's great. He wrote a review that was like, she interrupted what she was doing because she was so insecure. She had to take the temperature of the crowd. And you don't do that at a TV taping. And I'm like, you fucking moron. <laughs> that was part of the bit. And I hate that it comes off that I'm not in control, that I'm still yes. this vulnerable, me, me person. Sure. So, it, no, it doesn't go well with me because if it does look like I'm really interacting with the crowd, I tend to get these reviews that act like I didn't know what I was doing. That's very frustrating. Yeah. What's the solution? How do you, how can Stop you Stop doing take- galas. How could, but you're gonna, you're gonna have to do them. You're successful. I'm you're gonna, gonna have keep to do doing more of them. It. And then who cares what they say? I just have to keep is, doing but it. But is that, is that the next part of the thing? And you're gonna keep doing it with a view to being able to just go on a gala and fuck about. No, and, I don't want to fuck sometimes about. sometimes it'll, no, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, take genuine risks in the same way that you do in a club gig. No, no, I'm taking no risks. I do my hard jokes. I thought that was a hard joke, but apparently it was too much conceptual for people to handle. Okay. But even in like the Melbourne Gala this year, I have a three minute bit. I have like a five, six minute bit about finding a gray pubic hair and turning 40. And it's a whole thing. And it's a, fu- it's a story with tons of jokes. And so I had to do three minutes at Melbourne. I'm like, I'll just do the three best minutes of that bit. Jokes, jokes, jokes. But it's all around the same theme. Mm-hmm. And one review was like, she was trying to push too hard that one theme. I'm like, she had three minutes. And it's from a, don't, if, don't even see my show then if you don't want to see the six minute version. Like, no one is trying to, I hate reviews where it's like, she was trying this and this failed. It's like, yeah. you didn't get it. You have no idea what I was trying. You're not me. Yeah, don't go into my head. You can say, I didn't like it. But they never write, everyone was laughing. It was going great. Yeah. So, I never hear the laughter. I hear the reviews, which I shouldn't read. But when I'm touring, like internationally, I like to read them so I know how I'm coming off. Yes. And so I can speak to it in my podcast or in something else. If someone tells me, if someone tells the world what I was thinking, I got to go and be like, no, I wasn't. So in that sense, the only thing I can do with galas is still keep coming out with the hard hitting jokes. And if I'm perceived differently, maybe I learn from that. Maybe it's a positive thing that Steve Bennett thought I was really talking to the crowd because that's probably the good thing about me. But he got it twisted and didn't like it and thought it wasn't appropriate. Well, he doesn't get it and great. But so I think me will always shine through even if I'm doing my most, hey, how you doing? Hard jokes. It'll still look slightly off. It looks, it's like a little girl who's wearing her mother's shoes. Like something looks off and I don't know if I'll ever grow into them and be that like, I think I looked slick on my Netflix special, but that's because I had an hour and I was doing my stuff. But when you ask me to truncate my shit for some weird gala that's like, hold for camera, walk out here. Why is that comedy to me? I I just don't think that's comedy. That's just taping something. I should just go out and like juggle. (laughs) Or tap dance or something. Um, Your... um Oh, look, there's, I mean, there's, there's, loads, there's loads, there's loads, there's loads to talk about. I, well, we're sort of, we're talking about two things here at the minute. We're talking about persona and we're talking about 
material. And I do want to talk more about material, but something, yeah. a line from your show really made me laugh was you're saying from the point of view of the audience, why is a model doing stand-up? Oh, yeah. Well, that's an old joke from when I was uh, in a bad way physically. <laughs> like, now I think I'm better looking. I wouldn't make that joke because in, like, Omaha, Nebraska, I, could, I probably could be a <laughs> I'm joking, but, but I was um, I was going through a, a weight gain and a weight loss and everything was awkward and my skin was breaking out and, like, it just was, I looked kind of okay. punk. And so that was my joke. Okay. Yeah. But I wouldn't do I wouldn't do that now because I lost the weight and now I you know okay my hair I, I, had, I think I heard that on audio rather than yeah, seeing yeah, yeah. It on video. No, it wasn't I like thought... I was on monster, but it was just I was in a very awkward phase of like. There's something about that. Let's just like you said that, yeah. that let's just try and zero in on that idea that something is a little bit off. Yeah. And you don't necessarily know what it is, but you must have a sense of like like you said the girl wearing her mother's shoes. There's that, but there's more. There's a lot more to it than that. Can you just talk a bit more about that, about who that persona is? When Jen Kirkman walks out on stage, when, when you're 40 minutes into an hour... Yeah. ...and they know you and you know them, are there elements of your, your real-life personality that you are shedding or partitioning... Like, obviously, oh, everyone to some yes, extent is going, yes. here, here are like the hundred elements of my personality and that one's up to ten and that one's down to zero when I'm on stage. Yeah, okay, that's a good way to look at it, yeah. Um, so some parts they don't see, no. Well, maybe. But um, I think they're seeing a lot of different sides of my personality. Weird little moments of anger, but I'm trying to make them funny. Um, yeah, like... The, kind like, of um, just a weirdness, just a... Just a uh, I, sometimes I just stand there and look at them for a second and just just smile and laugh and then get back into it. I'm not trying to be weird. I'm just like, just give, I, just, I need a second yes. here. I'm uh, taking this all in. But I think there is a general sense of, and every comedian feels this way, so it's not unique, but like that someone is going to stop me and go, you're not a real comedian. You're the little girl. Get off the stage. Like when I go to clubs, I can't believe that's my job. It seems so like adult. Like yes. big grownups do this and scary people and like men from New York. Like yes. when I go I to comedy that, clubs and meet the owners, yeah, I'm like, I'm the one performing this weekend. Yeah. And I don't mean it false modesty. No. It's just like, how did I, it's so exciting in a way, but people are, I'm like, they're buying it. I don't mean I'm giving them shit and they're buying it. Sure. I mean, they're actually, they don't think it looks weird that I'm up here. So it's a, cool. you, the thing is I got some great yeah. advice. Don't have a speed wobble. Like What's a, that? a speed wobble if you're, I don't know where the guy got it from. I think we were talking about it in the context of snowboarding, which I'm terrible at. Oh, yeah. But when you start going really fast, you have a little mental wobble, not a physical one. You go, I can't be doing this. And that's when you fall off. So oh, don't yeah. have a speed wobble. You can wobble. never think that on stage, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I think I've maybe had the odd speed wobble pre going on stage. Yeah. And then I have to remind myself of the scariest, toughest gig I've done. And well, this place isn't as bad as the wherever. Yes. Well, I think that's what happens when I take those moments on stage when I just stop for a minute and look at the crowd. I'm like, wow. Sometimes it's from a, wow, this is cool. And sometimes I'm like, I can't believe no one's shouted out yet. What are you doing? Yeah, that's it. And I just I will amuse look out myself. for those moments where <laughs> yeah. I see you. There was a lovely bit, again, it's from that album, but like towards the end, you're telling quite a sort of a difficult story. And at one point, you're like, God, God, you're exhausting. You said to the crowd, and that, and that, that well, moment, I was funny. like, bang, that's Jen Kirkman right there. Say to a crowd, that God, is, you're exhausting. That is true. I don't know what was, I remember that that night because, yeah, somebody, they weren't laughing at something. And I was like, dudes, I'm okay with this. That's always my big thing. Like when people go, aw, I, two women in my show in Vancouver went, aw, at something. I went, mm. I'm not going for all. Sometimes I am. 
that moment I wasn't this it's a stupid joke. It wasn't even personal. And I was like, just go if you can't handle it. And they left. They were so literal in Vancouver. But um, yeah, the, I get sometimes I'm like, I feel like ugh, this is a terrible thing to say. This is but the perfect place to say. I know. It, I would say when you're only exposed to the biggest name comedians, when you turn on your TV, you are conditioned. And then when you see one live who isn't like that, sometimes I think a person can get confused and think, oh, and, and they might not laugh because they don't know if it's appropriate. Like, no, no, this is also comedy. Like, some people are not just putting on their comedy suit. Not that I'm referencing you, but some people aren't just doing jokes. Mm. Uh, some people are doing jokes, and it's from a real place, but everyone's okay. Everyone's fine up here. And so I, this is, that's a horrible thing to say. I'm, like, blaming people who everyone loves for... But there are these there are these little moments where I'm like, I know what that is. That's a cultural thing that I'm fighting against in my own culture. What is it you think that when they once in a blue moon they misunderstand and they go, oh, mm-hmm. what is it that they're thinking? Do they think you're some some not really a comedian, damaged woman that's come that's on stage? What I and think. Is, do you think that yeah. that's what's in your head when yeah, you I go, hear oh, that? Oh, they feel sorry for me, which should indicate that I didn't tell this correctly. But sometimes yes. I know I'm doing it correctly because I'm smiling and I'm like. And I, but, sometimes, but, but you yeah. but you can't be doing it correctly because they're an audience, aren't they? And so whatever they say goes. That's what they read, and that's kind of what I believe. I mean, I'm not one of these people that they oh, an audience didn't get it. They're stupid. I really go, oh. but it, sometimes it's just a couple people. Yeah, and then I get, and then you're allowed to go. No, those two people are stupid. Yeah. So, but if it's the whole audience, no, then I know I fucked up. Sure. If it's just a couple people, I go. Mm, those two people don't really get out much. <laughs> Let's, let's talk about the material then. How how let, what's a what's a good way in? Tell me what from your from the stuff that you're doing this mm-hmm. week. What's the thing that you're most proud of? What's the bit that you're doing at the moment, whether this week or not? Yeah. What's oh. the bit you're like? Ah, oh, th- this bit is classic Kirkman. Well, there's a new classic Kirkman in town, and it's talking about um, gender stuff. And so I, I have this bit that I'm loving about a guy in the South who called out to me, can I say something real creepy to you? When I was walking alone on a road, he was in a truck. So it's a whole bit that goes into like the fears I had and of what could possibly can I, happen. Can I, he was asking permission to say something really creepy yeah. to you. That is an incredible So I went to this whole thing and I started off with talking about like women in general cat calling and you know, what if men in their DNA have to yell out to us and what can they say and whatever. And so um, he yells out that and then it goes into this whole place of what I think was going to happen. Then it goes into a place of like an idiot, I go right up to the truck and then I react and I go, sure. And then I go, no. And I go, fuck you. And I walk away. And I said, that is when men don't understand women. When they say to us, why don't you just tell that guy to fuck off? We're like, because our first instinct is to be polite. So in the joke, I say, then our instinct kicks in. And that's why you guys think we're crazy. Like first I walk up to the truck and I apologize to three inanimate objects, like sorry to a mailbox. And then, then I find my voice and I go, fuck you. And it seems so out of place. And so many the men usually laugh at that point where I'm saying, it's just like when you're talking to us at a bar and we're trying to be nice. And then we're just like, get the fuck away from me. Like it takes us a minute to find ourselves. And then the bit turns into the guy actually was just saying, I'm not gay. I'm married. I love your shoes. I've just never seen shoes like that. And I just want to ask if they're comfortable. And and it gets into this thing where I went, is that really all you were going to say? He's like, yeah. And I tell him all the dirty, disgusting things I thought he was going to say to me. And he looks horrified. And then he says, um, I couldn't have lived with myself if I didn't tell you that I liked those shoes. And he drove off. And I thought, what's happening in the world where men are now 
comfortable with noticing fashion, but they still have to do the disclaimer. I'm not gay. I'm married. You know, and it's that what would his life have looked like if I didn't let him get those words out? He said he never would have lived with himself. So then I do a whole playlet about him at home with his wife and like, she's like, John, what's wrong? And he's like, you don't understand. And on his deathbed, he yells out black boots and it's this whole thing. And I'm like, I like what I'm doing with it by relating it to gender issues, larger ones in the, in the world. So it turns into a whole thing of like, then I'm going to like, if you need to yell out at us, that's what you should yell out specific outfit compliments. And then it goes into some other weird area where I say, I feel, you know, it goes into like kind of gendery stuff where I'm like, I don't feel totally like a woman. I feel like there's an inner man inside me and in my next life, I'm going to nail it, but I'm going to be the weird guy that wears eyeliner and Okay. And fucks everyone. So it's like, it yes. goes into weird places. And I like that. So what, well, what, okay, it goes into weird places. What other qualities does that bit have that is, that are making you so excited at the moment that you feel is like, this is the next, you know, there's a new classic Kirkman in town. I think because I'm talking about other things besides myself, I'm trying to address a tricky issue that people get upset about okay. men and women. Like women don't want to be for me to, it gets a little nervous in the room when I say, we don't want the men to scream out anything at us on the street. But then I go, but what if it's in their DNA and they can't help it? Like we can't just walk around telling men how to behave. They're never going to listen. Maybe there's a solution. And women don't like that. It starts to get a little rumbly. Yes. And the men start to get on my side. And I'm like, well, I'm going to turn it around in a minute where it's just a silly joke about yes. if you have to yell something yes, about shoes. But it's fun to play with stuff they're already upset about. They, it's not just a story about my life. Yeah. And then there's another bit I do later where it's about um, – a new thing where I say men are becoming too feminist where I have too many male friends that I thought I was on dates with many times. And then they'll say I have a girlfriend and I'm like, it turns into this thing of men used to have their everything at home and then try to fuck on the side. And now it's their fuck is at home. And then, you know, you're not going to fuck her and then take me out and talk about documentaries. You pig, you know, <laughs> I'm like, and so it goes into this crazy thing. So I just like talking about it. Yes. In a, so yeah. starting from a point that makes that makes people already uncomfortable, that's exciting. The freshness to you of the fact that it's not just about... It's a story in which you participate, but yeah. the, the, the places it goes are broader subjects. And I want to do a really good job of that. I want it to get bigger and better and smarter, and I want to be... I just want, like, a little... I don't know. In the moment, I want to bring together men and women in the audience, I guess, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, okay. And how did that's you... So work. obviously that's, that started with a real event. Mm-hmm. And then d- describe for us the, the, the process by which it's, the, that real event happened. Mm-hmm. Did you then write it down? Did you talk to people about it? Did you take that idea on stage immediately? Yeah. Did you, what, what were all the things that happened and, and what were the, the strategies that you used to... Because, I mean, that's a really good example. That, that example of that, of that guy shouting that thing you've just given us like five different ways of attacking a subject. Yeah. You kind of inverted it and then you've, then you've kind of done a, that playlist about, uh, you know, about what would have his life like been if yeah. that. I mean, are these all, I'm asking too many questions at once, but what are the sort of the strategies that you use to pull apart a subject like that in order to get the most out of it for the stage? Well, the, it happened in North Carolina. I had a gig, I was walking to the gig and I'm like, perfect, this is a good opening thing. And I don't do any of the gender stuff. I don't, I don't call I don't discuss catcalling and how it was a big internet mm. sensation. I don't talk about any of that. Because did you remember that video where the woman... Yes, the walking yeah. through the street. Yeah. And, yeah. So I, I say... Was, that was, it, 
it was genuinely eye-opening to me. Yeah, I said, I said, here's the way in which people react. You know, some men go, I don't do that. We go, that's great. Have a lollipop. Said this mm-hmm. one out. And then some men, well, what do I yell? You know, and all this stuff. And I, but so the bit about the shoes ends now with me saying, I wish I had a camera on him the way that that woman did so I could watch the rest of his life in regret. Nice. So Very I nice. tie it back to that. That just happened recently. But when the thing first happened, I just got on stage and said, I had these crazy shoes on. So that, that was like, I was like, this just happened. I swear to God, this truck pulled up. And I said, in the South, that's the scariest thing that could happen to a woman is a guy in a truck pulls up and slows down before he even says anything. And then I call out what he says and everyone laughs. But then it's like, I keep adding things. Like, So I just went on stage and talked it out. And then I would add things like a woman or a black guy. And then I say, uh, before he, I reveal what he says, I go, I was so scared. I just knew that there was a possibility that in 30 minutes, the spot where I'm standing could be filled with flowers and those candles, you know, like when someone gets killed. On the- sure, sure. And so that sometimes makes the audience upset. And, and then and, I can and have and fun that with that. Bit, is, is that something that you came up with on stage or is that, that part of the yeah. writing process? Is no, there's like, no writing process. No I just come process. up on stage. Or I'll think about it during the day, but there's no writing. Oh, the, the minute particular- I start writing, I start censoring. So I don't write anything down until after but it all happens in my mind or on stage. Okay, so you write it down as a as a as a, an aid memoir yeah, from, like, from when the stuff works. Yeah, I don't know why I said that. I like that. We're in phrase. Canada. <laughs> I've been, like I've been loudly phrase. pronouncing French words on signs all day, and then remembering that I probably <laughs> seem like a stupid rude tourist. No, but like yeah. So if I'm sitting, you know, walking around, I might go. Something will drop in and go, oh, I'll say the thing about flowers on the side of the road, and I'll write it in my notes section yes. on my phone. But there's not a sit down scripted no. draft it kind of process. Okay. No, and that's probably some like. Where people go, oh, it's so brave to get up and not know what you're saying. I think it's braver to sit down and write. Oh, that was your mother's funny. voice. That's yeah. your go-to mom's voice, isn't it? <laughs> no, that's some weird is woman it? in my head. My mother's voice is like this. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, I, but, uh, so then that bit became that. And then recently on tour, I added the, the component of talking about the cat calling video and all that. I wasn't going to because I know in Louis C.K.'s new special, he mentions it. And I'm like, fuck that. I'm a woman. I've actually mm-hmm. had this happen. So if he mentions it, good for him. I'm going to fucking mention it too. Sure. And it must have had like me. 15 million views. That's enough people that we can have a bunch of different perspectives. Yeah, on exactly. I'm not going to yeah. be afraid to, to mention the same thing and have the same thing, which is like, how about not shouting out anything at all? But I'm saying it because I've been shouted at my whole yeah. life, whether I'm wearing sweatpants or in a wheelchair, no matter what you get shouted at. So not that people in wheelchairs shouldn't get shouted at. Um, they deserve as much sexual harassment as, as the rest of us. <laughs> but um, so, and then they just kept going. And then now it, and then adding the, I used to just end on, isn't it silly that he said, um, I couldn't have lived my life without saying this. And people usually have a big laugh on that. So I used to just stop there. Like, well, you know, I'll just point out that he said that and that's a big laugh. So good night, not good night, but onto the beginning of the show. Mm. And then I went, well, what, what would that look like? So then I just keep, thinking about it as I'm on stage. Sometimes I'll just go, oh, that was a big laugh. They're into me. I'll just keep talking to them. And are you recording your gigs? No, I should. No. Okay, so you're just doing it from memory. Yeah, sometimes I'll bring my phone out. I forget to hit record. I get so in the moment once I get on stage, I forget all space and time. So, and I don't mean that in like some zen way. It's probably something's wrong with me. But I, I forget to hit record, or if I do record, I'll never listen. Cannot listen to... The sound of my voice. Are there particular places or things that you do that help you idly think of the stuff that you're going to do it later? If if your writing process is to wander around thinking about it, are there particular... Do you seek out 
places you like is a particular coffee shop you'll sit and have an hour and just have a think or is no. it just that you just get on with your life and I just get on with my life it. and it drops in at the most inconvenient moments it's like do you ever watch those shows about people who say they talk to the dead and there, there used to be this show Lisa Williams oh God, I don't she, know that one. it was an American show she said she used to talk to the dead and people would come to her oh, what did my mother say and when she would leave the house she would put a hat on and that would signal the dead to stop talking to her so she could have some thoughts in her head and I'm like oh, what so it's such bullshit, but so I feel like in that way, um, I keep my hat off all the time and just let myself talk to myself. And it's always when I'm doing something else and I'm not even thinking about comedy, yeah. I'll be paying for something in line at the pharmacy and something will come to me. And I'm like, I know they think I'm texting right now, but I have to put this in my iPhone or I'll forget, or I'm talking to someone and I'm like, hang on. It's never convenient. Sometimes, maybe on an airplane, something will come to me, but that's usually not a good idea. Whenever I am tranquil and a thought comes, I'm like, that's good. Whenever I feel that way, it never works out. And whenever I go, oh, I, I gotta, maybe this I could try, that always works out. So that's some weird, I don't know, subconscious spiritual thing or something. Um, a, a couple of bits that I that stood out for me in particular from from that album that I now realise you don't like. Um, no, it's the, okay. I'm glad someone likes <laughs> the Golden Girls in Reverse. Oh yeah, that's not a bad such bit. Such a such a great bit. Oh, yeah. I know it's lovely because I really had that thought myself of going now that we're all there, particularly kind of post Airbnb. Yeah, you know we're. Like, why can't we all just agree to live in a big house together and get old? And then the idea that you the the, the premise is. Why you know that's what they went through. That's what the Golden Girls did at the end of all of their marriages. Yeah. Why would you need to get married first and wait for someone to die? Right. I'm just thinking. I'm just re-looking at that bit of material now from the perspective of knowing you were going through a breakthrough <laughs> breakdown at the time because you didn't want to be married. Yeah. That's fascinating. Well, <laughs> just raise those bits in my head. The worst thing for any relationship is familiarity, and some people are really good with it. I am not. I don't ever want to know if anyone's shitting. I don't want to know. I don't want. I don't like when people watch each other get ready and then try to go to dinner. Like, where's the mystery? I think living with someone is can be really charming and intimate sometimes, but so can going over someone's house and spending a couple of days with them and then leaving. And so it's not like, oh, get away from me, but it's more like, let's keep the mystery going. So what if you lived in a house across the street instead of, but then again, I don't want to deal with roommates or anything, but, but it's that kind of thing of, I was really trying to say that familiarity is what, kills the sex which is what kills a relationship and no one wants to talk about that because then it seems like oh are, is that all relationships are is sex and it's like in a weird way it's the one thing you do unless we're talking about polyamory but we're just talking about straight up monogamous couples yes then that is the one thing that's different between you and other people in your life between your person and the other friends you have. Maybe your friend Sheila, she's good at talking about death. Maybe Mary, you can go to her for fashion. Sure, we all have different things with different people. But the one thing you cannot do with anyone else or there are consequences is sex. So why don't we protect that? Because that's what keeps you wanting to be around that person. You can always be around your friends for, for life. But I, I don't know why no one talks about the, I think it seems shallow or silly. And it's like, it is. And that's okay. That's what the basis of a relationship is, is romance and sex. So it's easy to talk to people all night, but then once you start shitting in front of them, it's over. Unless you're both weirdly bondy people that like that kind of stuff. And that, I, think that, I think that came from a place of being in this very... Being frightened of the familiarity. 
Yeah, of being so familiar. But that's because I, my marriage was very brotherly, sisterly. It was all familiar and no passion. So I think that's what it was. I was sort of incorrectly identifying all marriages like that. And that's where that Golden Girls reverse came in, where I yes. was like trying to think of what can we do to save this? Like maybe if we didn't live together. Like I was saying all kinds of crazy things behind the scenes. Like let's have an open marriage. And he was like, no. Like I was just like, what do we do? And it, the answer was I we stop is the answer. But I I was trying to come up with everything else. So creatively I came up with this nonsense about why don't we, and now I feel the opposite because I'm like, why don't you live with your friends? And then when you're old, you can take care of each other when there's no other options, then just move in together or something. And now I'm like, Oh, but men die first. So that's going to screw you anyway. So (laughs) I've kind of come around on that one. So given that you're someone who wants passion mm-hmm. out of life, and yeah. not, I don't just mean out of sex or out of relationships, but yeah. out of life, your fun experiences and adventure, like a lot of comics, I think, at least start or, or continue because of that. Yeah. How does comedy serve you? How does, the, how does this, what we were talking about at the beginning of our conversation yeah. about touring and being on the road and that being frustrating, Yeah. presumably it does also serve something in your personality. Yes. The... Um, and it's a new aspect of my personality. It's really only in the last five years that I've enjoyed traveling. I used to become a nervous person, kind of. The biggest understatement I've ever said, but <clears throat> trust me. And so um, it serves the not doing the same thing every day, which is so weird because I think I'm this person with a schedule and I am not. So it serves the randomness of just kind of, there's a little bit of a zone out to it when you don't have to think. And you're like, I just have to go here. I just have to go there. Mm-hmm. A little maybe in a bad way, I'm, I'm a little disconnected, but then in the best of ways, it brings me around the world. Like that's been the new thing, like travel. It's the only, it's the only way to travel for free in a way. And so it's served me by bringing me out into the world. I used to be kind of like a hiding person. So in that sense, like the actual career of it has brought me a whole new life. And, and it really like, wow, as my brain exploded and my perspective, perspective is shift shifted i i now feel safe in the world and i don't feel alone ever there's i know people everywhere and i feel very comfortable just being myself and i think what's so funny is it's constantly reflected back to me that i'm lonely and i the least lonely i've ever been and so i think in that sense it's made me a full whole person and then in some ways it's it serves me on little, little levels like i was saying like I just don't, I'm, I get bored in my apartment after four days. I'm like, I gotta go somewhere. I gotta go somewhere. And I, oh, I get to go somewhere in two weeks. I'm going to Chicago. Does, does that, is that healthy though? No, probably Ultimately, long term, given that maybe, I mean. Yes. Yeah, I think because I can make it healthy because I'm in therapy and I try to really stay connected with my friends and have like a support system of yeah. people in my life and, and uh, relationships to me like. If they're romantic, like now I have new rules around that. Like no more just flinging around. Like it has to be, even if it lasts two weeks, it just has to be a, a steady thing. So, and friendships, I make sure like I don't just check out for months at a time if I'm on the road. It's like stay in contact, make phone calls. That I didn't used to do. So there was like an That's, unhealthy that, year I yeah, had where okay. I was isolating completely. Yes. And But then I'd get home and be too tired. And then I just isolate at home and I got so lonely. I got really depressed and I was like, Oh, I'm just lonely. But it's not because of the road. Because I wasn't. It's because you're making well. decisions such that you perpetuate yourself being lonely. Yeah. So Anyone now, that's listened to more than four episodes of this is going like, "Yes, you better pay attention." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So now I'm realizing um, that I need to just. And, and it's, but I used to be one of those people like, oh, then 
what if I engage with this person? Then like hours will go by. It's like, I, like if someone would be like, hey, do you want to have lunch? I would freak out. Like, ah, I need my alone time. And it's like, yeah. that'll, that'll be two hours. And you still, you can be alone 12 hours after that. Like it's <laughs> fine. So now I'm realizing that it takes no less time to be engaged with people because, yeah. So I'm, I'm really wor- working hard on, I think I could have a great career of traveling a lot and still have the most stable life at, at the same time. So that's kind of what I'm working on now is like, whether it's friendships or whether it's whatever, just having solid people there in my life. And I've actually never felt, I felt overwhelmed at the amount of close friends I have, like people I have to keep up with and stuff like that. And, and I, I have a new thing too, where I don't just tell one person everything. There's no like best friend central. I spread it out. So it's this, it feels very good. Like, oh, I might tell Sarah this, or I might, you know, like when I was sick the other day, I didn't just like tell one person. I didn't like sit there texting 50 people, but I just let some people know as needed, like, oh, I'm laying in bed, I feel sick. And then I would have connections, people checking in on me. It was like, oh, I feel alive and with the world. Aren't we lucky to be touring comics? I think we're the luckiest people. The social media, I mean, just compared to even touring comics 10 years ago or 15 years ago, at a time when the social media allows us to be so connected to the world like that. I love this idea that you feel less scared in the world. Yeah, I feel like, oh, I can just show up in Sweden. I don't know anyone, but of course it's going to be fine because there's other human beings there. And I will just talk to people. And I always meet people and it's always great. And it's, yeah. Do you do do that more than you hook up with comedy communities? Like if you went to Sweden, would your first thought be, I'll see which comedians I know are here? No. No. Not a big, like, like this festival for me, it's like I have sunglasses and a hood not that anyone's clamoring to hang out with me, but walking through the bar of all the comedians is overwhelming. And I love comedians. I prefer them as friends, as boyfriends, as, as girlfriends. But on mass, I don't seek them out. So if I was somewhere, for example, when I was in Sweden, a comedian friend of mine who's also really into music was like, these are the bars you should go to by yourself because there's cool musician types there. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I wasn't like, where's the comedy community? I was mm. like, Ugh. But I was there for a comedy <laughs> festival. Okay. So I, but there weren't that many comedians there. So that's a weird example. But yeah, like, um, but then again, no, like that's the first place I would go because it's sort of like that, you know, but like in Melbourne, I didn't go to the hi-fi bar ever. I was like, Ugh, I don't want to hang out with a group of comedians. Do I only want to hang out with comedians on this trip? Yes. Just not in that way. Yeah. So okay. I'll meet people and I'll hang out that one or two really, or three at a time. That's a thing that I'm I'm I've learned recently and I'm trying to do more and more. Yeah. Going, I've always been a flitter. I've always been like, gotta gotta hang out with everyone for ten seconds and yeah. have no have the same ten second conversation with all of them. And actually going, no, what I'd really like to do is go and get eggs with my friend Ed. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Go, eggs oh, with Ed. Yeah. yeah. Then you can yeah, because I like comedian people, but I don't like the culture of just Sometimes I'm just like, oh, shut the fuck up. A little bit riff heavy this morning. Yeah, Yeah. don't riff. I hate the riffing comedians. And then you say something, you're like, oh, I had a headache this morning. Like, do you know Pat Oswalt's bit about headaches? I'm like, you know what? I I can tell you song lyrics all day long. I don't know other comedians' bits. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I love comedy, but not that much. Like, I don't know. I don't don't riff with me. That's a really good... I'd rather talk about music. Yeah. Even though I know nothing about music. 
that's a that seems like a very stable place to come from. I frequently feel, and bef- before doing this podcast, even which is obviously very sort of research heavy and sort of exploring comedy a lot, but I've always felt guilty that I don't know enough about comedians. Like I don't know enough about American TV. I don't know anything I about don't SNL. Either. I always feel really insecure about it. Going, oh my god! I've never seen an episode of Mr. Show, which is terrible. I know all those people on it, but I met them later in life. And yeah. like Paul Tompkins is a great friend of mine. I'm sure he's wonderful on the show. I've seen a couple skits, but I just I missed the boat on it. It yeah. was. Wasn't what I watched in the nineties. Some people would go back and go right box set, do it. Ugh, and, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even. You know, like I watch what I watch, and weirdly, what I watch is like reality shows about fashion and interior design and real estate, and that's what I like. I don't want any more comedy when I get home. Yeah, and I like if I do watch comedies, it's going to be dark and no laugh track. Like, I just want drama and like <laughs> pain. I was about to say, <laughs> but I'm almost like. Um, I come home and I'm a Russian novelist. You know what I mean? I'm like, pull the shades, light the candles. I don't want to. I don't want to know about how I met your mother or whatever these shows are. Mm. I do like a lot of comedies. I watch stuff that my friends make because I love these people because I know them. But I can't imagine if you didn't know them, the fuck would you watch a comedy for? Is <laughs> the dumbest thing to say? But I love. That's why I love David Letterman, and I'm going to miss him. I like grumpy, mm. and I'm an audio person. I listen to podcasts or Howard Stern. I listen to hours a day of Howard Stern. Like that's my kind of entertainment is talking feelings, passion. And then yeah, if something funny happens, great, but too much shtick ugh, turns me off. And I'm sure I'll have a different answer tomorrow to someone else. So finally then, mm-hmm. can you review yourself no. as honestly as possible? If you were to review yourself, you would just step Myself outside as a comedian. and watch a Jen Kirkman show. What would knowing everything you know about, yourself okay what would you what would be your honest review i would say i can't tell if i'm watching a train go off the rails that that knows exactly when it's going to get back on or if i'm really watching one that went off and accidentally got back on or if i'm watching one that never went off and i'm perceiving it weird i don't know exactly what i'm watching but i feel like i know her and uh this is i'm entertained i may not be i don't know i'm i'm oddly entertained <laughs> i love that's it that's my review is that that's too conceited is no, that no no conceded? no absolutely okay. not that's okay uh, yeah. it's honestly conceited no I'm not. <laughs> i think that's my review based on what i've heard and based on how i feel and then i would say like she's got like a cool uh outfit on or something and what is and what is this, uh, this is a final sub question part b um what what areas of comedy do you think, do you feel that you're lacking in? What areas of stand-up do you see other people do and think, I wish I was better at that, if any? And there don't need to be any. Uh, being creative, like thinking of things that aren't about me. Just like, hey, do you ever notice this? I can't do that at all. And I, and maybe being slower or being weirder, like taking more breathing room or just having an odd personality. I, you know, when I watch people like Maria Bamford or something, I'm like, or just be smarter politically. Like the way my friend Eddie Pepitone can make stuff that people may not even agree with him on, like that upsets people, like the global economy or global warming. It's so funny the way he does it. I can't really address these things as fun. He's angry about legitimately. And it's so funny. So yeah, I wish I could do politics better. I wish I just was more of an oddball that seemed like they should be a comedian. I don't feel like I should be a comedian. I feel like you look at me and go, did that girl just walk 
walk in here and in from the rain. Like it doesn't, you know, I don't, and then I get. You don't feel that you have agency to be a comedian. Do you mean you don't, that you have license to be a comedian? No, I don't mean you're that. I mean too normal a person. Is that? What no, I don't think I'm normal. But I feel like I don't have that like funny. I don't seem funny, which is. It, it's even like when I come through customs. Every country I go to, what do you hear from a comedian? You don't seem funny. I know I don't. I always say, well, I think the funniest people don't seem that way. It's not true. But like, <laughs> what do they want me to come through? Like, I've just been on a 19-hour flight. Like, hey, everybody. So I feel like I wish I had that more. Like, you look at someone and you go, that's a funny, I don't mean funny looking, but you're like, I'm fucking on board. Like, they're non-threatening. They're just, I'm laughing. You're weird. And I feel like, I don't think I'm threatening, but I think people are like, what is this? I can't figure it out. I'm like, I'm a, I can't figure it out either. So don't ask me. I don't look to me to lead this crowd because I don't know what I'm doing either. That's how I feel. Is that a, did I even, I don't think I answered your question. Brilliant. I think I answered something else. But Absolutely did. Yeah. That's the whole point of it. It's all about answering something else. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you. This is a joy. So that was Jen. A new episode coming out every day this week. Uh, later on this week, I'm interviewing Michael Che. That one's going to come out at the beginning of, uh, of Edinburgh. Uh, we've still got Matt Lucas to go. We've still got Charlie Baker and Justin Morehouse. I'll get those ones out as soon as possible. And then some fabulous Edinburgh shows coming up with guests as diverse as Catherine Ryan, Ashling B, John Lloyd, Tommy Tiernan, Daniel Sloss. Plenty more acts to come uh, with those as well. And then something very special which might be happening on the very last live show, the final Saturday of the Edinburgh Festival. Go to edfringe.com for information on that you can search goldsmith or podcast and that should throw up both information about the live shows and indeed my own show an hour which is on at 4:55 every day apart from the 18th uh, at the cannons gate venue on cannon gate that's all free the comcom live show is free as well so if you'd like to support those things come along and see them I'm really excited about this year's show can't wait to get up there we're going up uh, tuesday next week so it's in about eight days absolutely itching to get my teeth into edinburgh More episodes to come all week. Thanks for listening. Speak to you soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.